0: Unorthodox with the Angry Behavior Analyst is a relief valve for stifled thoughts, theories, and opinions related to social science. Unorthodox is unfiltered, uncensored, and most importantly, uncancelable. The Angry Behavior Analyst is all triggers, no warnings. All right, guys, today is a very, very special episode. We have not only the king of podcasting, on unorthodox but we're carrying out the episode in kind of a form of a reverse q a where we'll start with a discussion but we're going to both ask and answer questions from each other give a massive virtual round of applause to the kingpin of podcasts himself matt sicoria
1: kayla thanks so much for having me on and thank you for the the introduction um I'm not sure what benefits are conferred through (laughs) uh, that you've bestowed upon me, but uh, I will uh, try to live up to them. So uh, (laughs) that's very kind of you, and I'm happy to be here to chat with you.
0: I am so happy to have you, Matt. And for people that are maybe not within the field of behavior analysis, Matt uh, has the Behavioral Observations podcast, which has been going strong for its six years, Matt, now?
1: Yeah, almost seven, actually. Yeah, Almost but, yeah.
0: seven years. February would be
1: seven, if you can believe it or not. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. Uh, Matt, actually, uh, you were the first behavior analytic podcast, right?
1: Well, uh, that that comes with an asterisk. It's kind of like the first one that's still going. Uh, there were some early iterations of behavior analytic podcasts. Okay. Uh, most notably, Rick Cabina's Precision Teaching Podcast. Mm. Um, I think... Um, uh, Amanda Kelly a- aka the behavior babe she had some short kind of like information podcasts, like what is aba and oh, know, that's right. things like that and uh, the journal of applied behavior analysis matt normand when he was um uh, i don't think he was the editor in chief um, but he when he had some sort of editorial role uh, mm-hmm. that he um he did a few podcasts trying you know when when the medium was first coming out sure. so i always like to just give credit to those folks who are you know, who, who, who are way, way ahead of me, but I've, I've, uh, you know, been stubborn enough not to quit, I suppose. So here we are, you know, that's so a I noble start, trait. Yeah. Well, it depends on what you're, what it depends, I guess, <laughs> on the context, but, uh, in this case it's worked out well for me and I'm, I'm very, you know, I think podcasting has kind of saved my career in many, in many ways. Uh, you know, I can go into that, I guess, uh, if you want to. But I, I just uh it's been a really fun experience and uh, I, I can't imagine not doing it. I, So, yeah, it's been it's been it's been a fun ride.
0: It's a really great creative outlet that's different from what we've seen before when podcasting wasn't its own verb or its own. I guess its own form of uh, creative expression. So it's yeah. nice to see the change.
1: Indeed. Yeah.
0: So. Amidst a lot of changes we've seen in the field of behavior analysis and even related therapy fields and psychology fields, we've seen more of a shift towards compassionate care with compassionate almost becoming, I hate to say buzzword, but it's becoming something that has swept these fields because of maybe trying to repent for for our past in a lot of ways. What do you think about the word compassion?
1: Well, you know, I, I uh, the, the, the word itself is fine. I don't have mm-hmm. a problem with it. Um, I, I think like anything, when it's, you know, when you see it a lot, you know, there's a lot of discussion in the field of behavior analysis about compassion. Uh, there was a keynote address at the Stone Soup Conference about compassion mm-hmm. uh, just last Friday. Uh, and i think all those things are awesome. uh i, I i'm not really trying to disparage uh, pe- people who who want to talk about this. um i guess the the part that i guess uh it has a potential to be i don't know. um challenging i suppose is that uh you know it, does our does our discourse become saturated with the word compassion and thereby render it meaningless. mm mm-hmm. mhm you know, um, so I know like you've been talking about trauma a lot recently, you know, and, yes. and, and, and should we be attendant to trauma? 100%. Absolutely.
0: Um,
1: you know, does does, does, does peppering every conversation with trauma or compassion yield more trauma-informed and compassionate repertoires? That's the question that I'm really interested in and I'm not sure if that's actually the case.
0: It's difficult to say if that's the case, because you would think that repeated exposure to something might have an influence on how we practice. Oh, I've heard that trauma-informed is this really popular lens, and it's really effective in terms of how we uh, approach therapy. But if it remains a conversational piece without changing and embodying what that actually means, I think that's where it gets really tricky in terms of how do we move this from something that sounds really good and is really great in theory. To actually implementing it.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I guess we're, we're, tra- you know, excuse me, not, tra- it's going to go in the trauma direction. I'm not, go- where compassion, <laughs> I guess, comes into play for me is, uh, is thinking about everyday experiences that are, I guess, either annoying or irritating or upsetting. And this is something, you know, I, I have three teenagers right now, um, and I, tr- I try to impart this lesson to them as well and it's hard because i struggle to do the same thing myself but you know whenever someone's doing something that is that i think is wrong or that is again it, it, you know can run the gamut from mildly annoying or irritating to something that i think is absolutely terrible um if i can catch myself and that's a, that's an if you know because we all have these kind of hardwired reactions to to think, stimuli that are that are upsetting but when I'm able to kind of catch myself, I play a game with myself and I try to imagine the learning history that led that person up to that point in time where that response uh, was the the most likely response available to that person at the time. Which is not to say that we should give blanket excuses to people and, and, and not have any type of accountability when people make bad decisions of course but just from a standpoint of understanding i i, I try to do that and, and and it um i don't know I, I think that's just maybe my way of perhaps not trying to stay sane in a world that is uh, you know seems like it's running <laughs> off the rails right now but there's there's been a few incidents in the news recently where i've i've really tried to where where that's been particularly helpful um and uh yeah so that's something that i uh, you know, that, that, that's an application of, uh, you know, you want to call it compassion. You want to call it understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to call it taking in the circumstances view as Pat Freiman likes to say sure. of, of that individual. And, you know, but you know, like when I'm talking with my kids, uh, you know, if they, if they're talking about a peer at school, who's doing something, who got mm-hmm. caught doing something, um, you know, really bad or something like that. I always try to take the time to, explain to them and said, look, you know yes, you know that person did X and you know maybe maybe they are experiencing the the, the consequences to that behavior that is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, but keep in mind that you know th- that this person has a learning history that that led them up to this point. and And I think what's been helpful is that we have friends of ours who have kids that are younger than mine, Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they, they see some of the, the parenting struggles and quite frankly, sometimes the parenting mistakes that, that are, that our friends and acquaintances make, you know? And yeah. so they'll, they'll see very clearly. It's like, well, they told her no. And then they gave in and it's like, yes, thank you. All right. All right. Thank you for observing. <laughs> thank it's you all for coming
0: together now. Yeah,
1: I know. I know. So <laughs> it's like, all right, well, that's, that's, yeah, that's how reinforcement works. You know, they're, they're, you know, so yeah anyway, um, yeah, so that's my general point of view on that. And it's been something I've really been thinking about lately quite a bit.
0: Yeah, Matt, you actually reinvigorated my interest in the circumstances view through Pat Fryman's uh, article on there's no such thing as a bad boy. And I'm actually going to read a quote here for the listeners from Father Flanagan of Boys Town. Father Flanagan stated, there's no such thing as a bad boy, only bad environment, bad modeling, and bad teaching. In other words, bad circumstances. And this kind of plays to your point where a culmination of life events and a learning history can play a huge part in the decisions we make, what no matter how undesirable they may be, versus someone's character or their personality.
1: Yeah, I, I love that quote. And and what what, what kind of got me thinking about this there, there was an uh there's an event that happened here in new Ham- i live in new hampshire mm-hmm. um and it was an event that happened about two or three weeks ago where a uh, uh a person at a at a high school mm-hmm. um I, I you know and i'm so out of the loop as it relates to kind of popular culture and things like that but apparently sure. sometimes i, I, I people make posters to ask and and post them on Instagram to ask people out to dances and stuff like that. This is new to me even, you know, but anyway, so apparently this happened and um, some kid at a, at a local high school uh, made a poster that um, was racially insensitive to say the least. It was, it was, you know, made a reference to slavery and picking cotton and things like it was terrible. Terrible. So I'm not. I'm not trying to. uh For you know, no pun intended. Whitewash that, or or paper over the the uh, um, sure. the the racial content of of that poster.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And as you can imagine, it made the rounds of Instagram. My uh, my son. My son plays football for our local high school, and their team was going to play th- this other kid's team they found out through the grapevine that they're going to play the team and then kids were like oh we're gonna like you know people on on my son's team we're gonna say we're gonna oh we're gonna take him out in a play like try to injure him you know to which I told my son I'm like uh you're gonna have absolutely nothing to do with that behavior by the way you're you know it's like yes this kid did did wrong uh Mm -hmm. but you're you're you know you and your friends uh, steer clear of that. Uh, Mm -hmm. and you're not, you're not, uh, this is not frontier justice or anything like that, you know, anyway, so that and it never, the, the game never materialized because as you can imagine in today's social media environment, this, this story went viral, at least as it relates to as viral, excuse me, as things go in New Hampshire (laughs) and, um, uh, the, the school canceled the entire, Weekend of athletic activity, so not just the football game, but wow. everything else uh, athletically that was going on that weekend. Um, and this was a uh, this was a private Catholic school, uh, and, and they ended up kicking this kid out. Um, and the the um, the person in charge of marketing, if you will, was you know making these comments in the media. It's like that we have a zero tolerance policy; we have no place for this in our school, and. Yada yada yada, <laughs> and 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 it's note it's noteworthy that this actually occurred in the Catholic school, and given the mm-hmm. the background of Father Flanagan and Boys Town and things like that. And you know, for anyone who cares, I'm 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 not a practicing Catholic. I'm you know, as I like to joke around, I'm am a Catholic in recovery. It's it's a,
0: <laughs> I'm a passive Catholic.
1: <laughs> it's, it's it's one day at a time. Um, Sure. Uh, You know, so, uh, which is to say, uh, you know, just, you know, decades of non-practice, I suppose. So, um, you know, um, I have no allegiance to the the Bishop of Rome, if you will. But, uh, you know, I think that uh, there was part of me that was really disappointed in that response. Um, And again, to be extremely clear, in case anyone is, you know, taking this the wrong way, I want to just again underline, highlight, you know, uh, 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 and and otherwise um, go (laughs) be very clear in that what this kid did was inappropriate. It was wrong. It was racist. It was all those things, right? Uh, And at the same time, what I was trying to do, again, I was just trying to play this game with myself that I mentioned earlier. I was trying to say, okay, what led this kid to this point And and really, especially in today's day and age, what made what what was the learning history that made him think that posting that, you know, that that poster online was was something that was within the bounds of, you know, acceptable cultural practice?
0: So you took the circumstances view.
1: I tried to.
0: Yeah. What do you believe? You mentioned that you thought that the reaction to it, you were disappointed in it. Do you think that's because of the fact that they went for more of a this behavior being due to a personality flaw?
1: Yeah. You know, it's hard. It's hard for any of us to get to get inside the head of the uh, uh, you know whoever the administrative body was that came to this decision. Um, I you know. I'll put my cynical hat on for a moment and say, you know, look, this is bad publicity for a school that is not publicly funded. And if they have a reputation um, that is looked down upon in the community, they're they're going to be less likely to get donations. They're going to be less likely to recruit future students uh, and, and get tuition dollars and things like that. So I, I tend to think that was a business decision uh, if I were really, you know, pressed to... I guess, speculate on what their their motivations were for this decision. Um, but it certainly wasn't a uh, – yeah, it definitely wasn't a, a circumstances view. And I, I actually um, – you know, it, it's funny because uh, – w- when we started talking about doing an episode, you know, I kind of like my, my tongue in cheek title of it would have been like, like, you know, in defense of assholes, Which you, know, I like, love. <laughs> you know,
0: like, we, we might just go with that, Matt. All,
1: all right. All right. Um, so I feel like I'm defending an asshole here or like, a, you know, and I think anyone who's taken kind of like a, uh, you know, any type of law course, you know, sure. like I'm taking the defense attorney role here. Right. And, uh, uh, I don't know. I, um, I, again, I don't think I could say this too many times. You know, I don't, I don't want anyone to to misinterpret that I'm. I, I think this behavior is okay or anything like that. No, far from it. What, what, what? As in a, and I think, as someone with a psychology and behavior analytic background, is uh, you know, I'm interested in the um, not just the circumstance under which this came about, but also what's going to happen to this particular kid moving forward. You know. Um, you can imagine getting expelled, and then he goes back to his local high school, and then you know then he's this you know kind of pariah figure, a- and there is a uh, a choice point, if you will, to you know to kind of use some some uh, you know Russ Harris language here. You know this kid could you know kind of um, does this kid double down and goes further down this path of racial insensitivity and possibly you know more overt forms of racism going forward. Um, you know, uh, or, or is there an opportunity to, uh, somehow, um, you know, reach this individual and, um, you know, try, try to, for lack of a better word, rehabilitate their point of view or, you know, or at least try to develop some sort of understanding on why they got to this point in the first place where thinking that that sort of behavior was okay, you know, like, uh, so. I I don't know. Um yeah, so it, you know, c- you know, is this kid at risk for, you know, further marginalization and further radicalization. And and, and you know, and and you know, and so th- this could be a net negative for for you know, uh, you know, race relations in in this particular individual's community, I suppose if he kind of further's down goes down that path and starts, you know, um I, I don't know, like you know, again the mind can go in a month in a, a, a number of different directions, uh, but I, I again I I was just kind of disappointed in the 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 willingness to just you know kind of cast this person off at, um, absent any type of understanding, and, and there's there's part of me that you know again this is kind of like you know the, the Rolling Stones songs you know Sympathy for the Devil you know it's like what yeah. <laughs> what the hell is going to happen to this kid you know. Um,
0: Yeah, especially with how this type of behavior is treated now, there's almost nothing you could do to redeem yourself and and apologies tend to not be taken as seriously or they tend to be taken as self-serving sometimes. And I think that might be where the circumstances or the compassionate view would be a really helpful means of approaching these types of situations versus the lens of the fundamental attribution error, which is a bias that simply states our behavior must be due to circumstances but when someone else does something it's because of something that's fundamentally wrong with them
1: (laughs) yeah yeah i mean you know uh you know uh, and again i'm i'm speculating here again i'm not saying it's okay what he did i you know again it's part of my game of how do you how do you generate you know generating plausible hypotheses about how this kid came to be uh at this point in time where he's engaging this behavior you know is just like you know i i don't know you know uh you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure we could spend a lot of time just kind of, you know, throwing darts at that <laughs> at that board. Yeah. But, you know, uh, I don't know. It's it's. It, yeah. So it was an interesting story. And it, it kind of made me think a lot about uh, about this you know particular concept of of, um, of of how to come to understanding of people that you vehemently disagree with uh, and and things like that.
0: So, in defense of assholes, and looking at circumstances versus personality flaws, do you think it in any way relates to the nature versus nurture controversy from years ago?
1: I don't, I don't know. You know, I mean, I I I haven't looked at this in, in, in a little bit, but I think there. You know, I, I would say that you know that there, there are. You know, it, it, it's not necessarily an either or. You know, it's nature and nurture. You know, obvi- and, and certainly we could perhaps tip the scale towards nature. Uh, excuse me, towards nurture, um, if you will. You know, so uh, you know, um, uh, you know, I don't go as far as the the complete. You know, uh, you know, blank slate. I suppose. Um, you know, I, I think there are uh, there perhaps. You know, we we all inherit things from our from our family uh and it's and you you can't do the perfect experiment if you will you know you can't you know but uh you can't you can't forcibly separate twins from birth for the purposes of research and things like that um you know of course so it's hard to disentangle those things where it might be the product of one's you know familial environment versus their genetic endowment um, you know, I, I, and I think that, you know, perhaps a more modern view is that it's a, it's it's a, it's a yes. And, you know, that, you know, we have genetic predisposition, predispositions towards X, Y, and Z, uh, and we're also influenced heavily by the environment. Um, you know, some of those, um, and some of those things occur, uh, you know, during some of those genetic, uh, I, I guess, uh, switches, if you will, occur during development and are influenced by the environment. So, you know. Um, so, I in. I'm inclined to take a kind of a more nuanced point of view that, that l- looks at both those things. I mean, certainly there are things, like I think you've mentioned like the big five personality, tr- you know, traits and uh, before, you know, and I think there there's some aspect of people falling into different categories that has to be somewhat heritable, uh, you know, but again, you know, the way in which those things manifest themselves uh, have to be heavily Im- influenced by the environment.
0: Because personality traits tend to persist over time, that's not to say you're the same exact person throughout your entire life. But the personality traits in terms of how open we are or our extra where we fall on the extroversion scale, neuroticism, and all of these things, they tend to remain pretty stable despite. A multitude of environmental exposures but like you said the environment plays such a huge role in how we behave what's punished and what's reinforced so trying to tease apart these two entities of nature and nurture i wouldn't e- i personally wouldn't even know where to start
1: yeah you know like i i grew up in a house with uh you know where, where there was a lot of yelling right and mm-hmm. um uh you know we, it's a very old school parenting and, you know, uh, and, and things like that. And I feel that I, I would say that people who know me well, probably think of me as, as fairly laid back. And, um, uh, I, I, it's very, I, I tend to lose my temper very infrequently. Um, for the most part, there are some things that, that certainly irk me, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm not, I'm not quick to yell. I don't think, um, Maybe we should get my kids on for a deeper dive into this. But uh, anyway,
0: <laughs> testimonial. Uh, and,
1: and is that is that an aspect of my quote unquote personality, or is that you know kind of a reaction to an environment that I you know grew up in where I, I saw that repertoire and didn't really want to emulate that personally, or it didn't work for me, or what have you? I you know who, who's to say?
0: There's also what's really popular right now, these crime shows and these uh, documentaries about famous serial killers and all of these, uh, anything related to uh, very uh, media heavy crime. And it it makes you wonder in terms of the circumstances or the nature nurture view. A lot of these people come from broken homes. They had really horrendous upbringings, but then there are some that had Upbringings very similar, I'm sure, to you and me, where there was nothing remarkable that would have led to such destructive and harmful behavior. So, in that case, in that case, how would you decide yeah, how yeah. much nature and nurture?
1: Yeah, who knows? Yeah, it's 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 hard to hard to tell for sure. I I I, I try to stay away from the true crime genre. So I, I oh, this, do you? It's not a, it's not a uh, yeah, it's not an area that I I. Uh, uh, it's it's not a it's not a, a favorite uh, genre of, of mine so i I don't really know that much about it other than like what i see i know there's that jeffrey dahmer show out that everyone's talking about and stuff like that i have zip zero not an interest in in in, in watching that i have a friend of mine just kind of i guess as an aside she is a uh a true crime podcast junkie and um it, you know, the, I'm speculating here, we, you know, uh, I'm not saying anything out of school, like we've talked about this, but like, I, I think it. she also experiences considerable anxiety, you know, and it's like, I don't think, uh, you know, I'm not saying one causes the other, but one's certainly not helping the other, you know, sure. think, you know? exacerbating <laughs> so it a little they're, bit, they're, you know, just kind of an <laughs> as side about that, that, you know, the, 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 the kind of true crime storytelling, uh-huh. uh, I guess, popularity these days, you know, like I, 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 don't, you know, I'm sure people like all things, like there are some people who can enjoy those things and put them aside and put them in their proper context. And there's there are people like my friends who, you know, it probably, um, is not a net positive in their life as it relates to, you know, providing some sort of entertaining outlet. It's something that, you know, I think perhaps narrows their experience by increasing their baseline level of uh, anxiety about moving about the world.
0: Sure. Sure. As this relates to, uh, to Fryman's article where he discusses the difference between circumstances, which Involves a lot of pausing and critical thinking and then waiting to respond versus react. And then on the flip side of that, there's the blaming piece where blaming happens in an instant and you mess you you mentioned your kids and you say that you're generally an even keel type of person, which could just be a personality trait. Why do you think it's easier to play the blame game versus taking a circumstantial view?
1: Yeah, you know, I I I I think Pat mentions this, or he mentions it in the the pod, the Inside Java podcast that we did with them um, around the time of the publication of the article. Uh, but you know, the the emotional responses come on quick, uh, and um, you know, I I, I would imagine and again, I'm I'm I, I haven't done the the background on this, but I I, I imagine there's probably some hardware wiring that's associated with that. Um, you know I I think uh, like so many things that we have in our repertoires that aren't necessarily functional these days they're, they' they would probably serve some evolutionary benefit they probably convert conferred some survival advantage you know back in the uh, the uh, the caveman days where you know you can imagine being wary of others and you know uh, conversely um engaging in tribal behavior, like being tribalistic was probably a net positive at that point in the history of our species, you know, and so, so repertoires that align people more along, you know, in relationship to their tribe and, and, and other to other people probably has some evolutionary, probably had some evolutionary benefit to it, you know, um, and you can think of that not just in terms of blaming and things like that, but also all sorts of other, you know, social problems that we have right now. It's like, ooh, that person's different. How I, does I sh- that
0: pose a threat to me? Uh,
1: yes, yeah, I should be wary, you know.
0: This is actually a nice segue into the medical versus the social model of disability. And I've been posting a little bit about this in my stories to see where people may fall in terms of the social and medical model. Do you want to give us a general overview of the medical versus the social model of disability?
1: Yeah, I'll give you a layman's one. Um, you know, I've done some looking into this, but I'm I'm probably, you know, if, if you've done a deep dive into this, you might cringe and yell at your phone as you're listening to this. So, <laughs> I I'd, I'd be happy to be corrected o- on this. So, I'll give you my thumbnail sketch of it. So, Sure.
0: Um, you know, the,
1: you know, you know, from what I understand, the social model of disability looks as, you know, the, you know, or as a a disorder, as a or a disease, or something like that, is not necessarily a um, something to be fixed per se, but something to be accommodated through societal change. Um, and that the distress that people feel when they have uh, fill in the blank disorder or diagnosis or whatever is, 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 is directly attributable to the lack of understanding or lack of accommodation that society broadly uh, construed uh, has towards that individual and towards that, um, that, that, that particular disability category. Uh, and so, again, I'm not an expert in ableism or any of those things, but I think that's kind of where this stuff comes from. Uh, whereas the medical model of disability, I think people are most familiar with, where you know we, we have an idea of what homeostasis is in, in a in a in a in a in a, in a, in a physically and, and and psychologically healthy human being, um, and, and, and deviations from that homeostasis as it relates to psychology, you know, uh, you know to what extent someone is not experiencing well you know well-being to what extent does someone you know uh, experience events um or or uh you know otherwise have a difficult time um you know doing normal things in their lives you know to what extent does that the, does their psychological experience hold them back um you know the way in which that happens can fall into a number of diagnostic categories. ergo, the the Diagnostic and Sist, uh, Statistical Manual, and its various iterations. Um, you know, and the same thing with with medicine certainly. You know, um, and, and I think medicine's a little bit more clear, obviously, because for the you know, with with some exceptions, you're looking at uh, both structural and uh, uh, functional changes, and in, in how one's physiology is is supposed to work. You know, so if you have a, um, you know, if you have high blood pressure, for example, we know having high blood pressure is deleterious to one's health, um, and it's very measurable. You
0: know, mm-hmm. um, and better approach through, I'm assuming, a medical model
1: and a medical intervention. Yeah, yeah, and and it, and it's a very clear difference in function, as opposed. You know, it's 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 a it's a it varies based off of what we would consider with the normal limits, and we know being higher than what is the kind of normal range, if you will, um, again, leads to a, a, an increased likelihood of all sorts of you know cardiovascular problems.
0: Matt, do you think that possibly could be part of a, a long galaxy, a big galaxy of reasons as to why there may be more of a push towards the social model is physical ailments like high blood pressure or cholesterol or, or something or cancer, even there's scientific evidence that points to medical intervention as the best form of intervention, but in human service fields or dealing with behaviors and thoughts that are a little more abstract than something like blood pressure. Do you think there's more motivation to go the social route versus something seemingly as black and white as a medical intervention?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I'm not a psychotherapist, uh, you know, so I, I it's hard for me to say, you know, I, I know, um, you know, I, I think there's something, you know, I think Steve Hayes has talked about this, and and I, I don't think he's making a, a direct relation to the social model of disability versus the medical model, but, uh, you know, I, I think uh, he and a lot of other kind of thought <coughs> leaders in the world of acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT, um, you know, t- we'll, we'll talk about you know process-based therapy versus um, uh, what's the uh, diagnosis-based therapy. I might be getting the, the second term incorrect, but the idea is is that uh, you, you know the you know if someone is um, whether someone's experiencing depression or anxiety or or you know something else, um, going through the process of you know the 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 act hexaflex, if you will. Uh, and for those who aren't familiar with that, it's you know kind of like looking at what's what's important to you. What are your values? Um, you know what are what are the thoughts getting in a way of you um, living in a in a manner that's accordant uh, that, that's aligned with your values. Uh, what are some strategies to diffuse or or otherwise distract yourself from those thoughts um, and accept them? Uh, you know, what are the strategies for, you know, uh, living more in the present moment and not worrying about tomorrow or mulling, you know, uh, uh, ruminating over yesterday, you know, um, all those skills are, are, are kind of good for what ails you from what I understand of, of, of the practice. So I, I could see where, where a, a process based therapeutic approach, um, you know, uh, c- could be either complementary to, or, or maybe even substitutable for, you know, a, a medical model in some cases. I think where things get tricky is that, um, and and, and kind of dialing this back to behavior analysis more generally, you know. So we're kind of moving from psychotherapy back into, you know, behavior analytic treatment for individuals with autism, you know, I know there's a, there's a big push in, 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 in that world for understanding autism as a, as a, as a, you know, from the social model. I think there are elements of that, which are important that we, we shouldn't stigmatize people for uh, those sorts of things. We shouldn't, um, you know, stamp out, um, you know, things that, autistic people do that are enjoyable to them, but may look, may look a little unusual from a typically developed lens, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and so forth. Uh, I have had cases like that in my career. I remember, uh, gosh, early, and this is, this is way before people will start talking about this stuff. Uh, this has to be 15 years ago, but I was working with, um, a family and it was an individual who, I mean, it was like the textbook, like, um, amazing ABA outcome. You know, so this individual was identified, you know, when he was two, uh, received intensive services, um, uh, and uh, ended up walking into kindergarten with absolutely no supports, uh, absolutely indistinguishable from his peers. Wow. um, Had friends, had social skills, and things like that. He had the ever so slightest visual stim, um, so slight that Mainly, his parents had to be like, "Look, look, there it is, and I'd look and be like, "I think I missed it. I'm sorry you know
0: yeah. <laughs> was it a blink
1: <laughs> I, I don't know like you know i mean I, I'm kind of I'm kind of, kind of sort of kidding, um but they wanted us to work on that, and I was like no, no, we're not going to do that. That's a, that's a, a, you know. First of all, that would be impossible to to treat, even if we want. We thought it was a good idea, and secondly, it's not a good idea to do that. So let's just not do that. Um, and and and, and you know, so I I am one hundred percent on board with with things going in, in that direction. I think where things get tricky is when that when those repertoires of stereotyp stereotypy aren't so overt. Um, you know, maybe they're, and, and maybe they are creating barriers for that person to experience life more fully. Um, you know, th- those might be some considerations where we might want to intervene. And again, I, I don't really do much work with, with, with uh, uh, I, I don't really, you know, uh, provide a ton of work with, with individuals in the spectrum these days. Um, but, you know, that's kind of where I am right now.
0: Yeah, I, I don't either. I actually, I mostly work with professionals at this point. But the I think the theory, and the maybe the undertones of the theory, uh, might remain in the conversations and the problems that we come across. Is, as adults, we kind of use environmental loopholes. We could choose to avoid things or manipulate our own circumstances to a degree. And I think that's completely functional. But as you said, it gets a little tricky when maybe there might be an over reliance on the changing of the environment with less attention paid towards direct symptoms that we could either medically manage or directly therapeutically address
1: yeah and i would say one other thing one other thing I've, i forgot to mention but i've been thinking about this a lot is that um you know i've i've been practicing behavior analysis since uh you know the late 90s so i've been at this for a little bit uh i am a uh i, I i'm you know, a standard deviation or two older than the average BCBA. And uh, so I'm old enough to remember when uh, behavior analytic services were, were, were not available for reimbursement through insurance. It was, that, that was, that was the dream uh, if you will. Um, And that people only were able to access ABA through private pay scenarios or you know schools that happen to have a BCBA um, that could train them or these you know these you know uh outposts of behavior analysis in you know Kansas and Los Angeles and Florida um, and elsewhere uh, Michigan et cetera uh and 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 nowhere else in between you know so for those who are listening to this who might be newer to the field uh, it really um you know, there were so few of us at 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 the time, um, and, and so the so the the idea that y- that someone can bill insurance for ABA services for a medical um, necessity for autism, um, it w- was. Today is commonplace, but was revolutionary in nature. I don't think that could be understated. Uh, I don't think that could be overstated enough. The fact that that was the uh, you know that was not the norm. Um, that was that was that was the dream for so many parents uh, to 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 strive for. And um, so, you know the the idea that. Um, that au- autism is is not a a medical issue, but rather something that society should accommodate. um, You know, is in direct contradiction to the ways in which people are accessing ABA services these days. Or you it might know,
0: make it difficult.
1: Ninety five percent of the individuals receiving ABA services, you know, or I don't know, I'm making that stat statistic. The the Nearly all individuals who are receiving ABA services are receiving ABA services through um, some sort of insurance reimbursed uh, process, um, and and insurance does not reimburse for social problems. You know, correct. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like um, you know. Oh boy, you know, uh, it, it's not like insurance is going to reimburse someone because they experienced misogyny in the workplace or harassment or whatever, you know, that is, that is a social problem. It is a problem just in case people are, you know, don't, don't misunderstand. (laughs) It it is a problem. It's a very big problem. Believe me, my wife tells me about it all the time. Uh, You know, um, and and I believe her, Um, uh, but it's not a medical problem that you can bill insurance for. So there is, there is part of me that kind of Uh, wonders what the logical extension and the logical outcome of the social disability movement is, you know, as I, as I, as I speculated with someone, you know, what, what happens, uh, what happens when the dog catches the car, you know, you know, insurance companies would be like, okay, well, if you say so, then we'll stop funding this because it's super expensive.
0: Already insanely expensive. And there are, Insurance companies are already moving into different models where they're they're needing more evidence that this sort of treatment is even necessary. So these kind of more lavishian um prescriptions for the higher end of hours, uh, there are rumors swirling around that those might even be reduced over time. So I would just along to add to what you said, I would just wonder even social problems that we encounter much of the solution to those is an internal solution. So, I mean, there's only so many environmental variables we could change. With something like misogyny or racism, it, I mean, we can't just expect everybody else to change. And if that's the treatment goal...
1: Yeah. Uh, another way of thinking about it, like, where, where is the agency placed? On whom is the agency placed? You know, so uh, you, you know, you you've been uh, very open about talking about your 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 panic attacks, right? Um, and I I think I think that's a uh, first of all, it's very commendable uh, th- that, that that you're discussing that. Um, a, a, and I think that the as you've stated, the agency, the, you know, the person who is responsible for managing life uh, w- w- with that repertoire, uh, is you, right? Um, yeah. There's, 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 there's not much in the way of, um, even if society want to kind of accommodate that, the, the, there's innumerable ways in which I'm sure panic attacks manifest, right? Absolutely. And so it would be like, uh, so you know so if you think of it in terms of like, okay, what are all the antecedent interventions? Well, they're innumerable and they're and they're as varied as there are number of people on this planet, you know. So uh, it, just from a, from a pr- pragmatic standpoint, that doesn't seem to to, to work either. So anyway, um, yeah, so that the, that that's kind of my thought on that. Again, it's 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 I, I probably don't have the most educated take on on, on on these issues, but that's I'm just kind of responding to what uh, the discourse that I'm seeing um, you know, online and elsewhere.
0: Yeah. I, I actually talked a little bit about this yesterday. I think you might've seen it, or I don't know if you have, so bear with me if I'm going to repeat this example, but in terms of a panic attack, anxiety, or, or anything that we feel internally that, that feels, comes on kind of abruptly you could put every single accommodation in place for someone like me. You could dim the lights if they're flickering and I yeah. have a sensitivity to it. You could, I don't know, remove people to make me feel less uh, less uh embarrassed about what I might be going through. But at the end of the day, the, the panic attack will still persist regardless of whether people or lights or Costco exists. The environment yes. will always be there. And I just think it's a, We'll find ourselves perpetually disappointed if we continuously wait for the environment to conform to our needs.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, um, I, I, uh, I, I think uh, I, I agree with that for sure. And you know, and again, I don't think it requires a a philosophical commitment to agree with that. It's just pragmatic. It's 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 what's 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 going to be the biggest bang for the buck here. You know, so you know, you can put aside all the you know um all the philosophical hair splitting uh, and just look at you know what what is what is the most realistic path towards habilitation and you know uh, fulfillment if you will
0: do you believe that there are some of our own mental barriers in behavior analysis to seeing beyond the social model of disability
1: well, I, I would say that uh I, I you know, I would say the social model is probably alluring in many respects and the medical model is, is 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 not insofar that when we look at behavior as a social process, you know, and perhaps again the better distinction is not necessarily a, a diagnostic type of therapy, but a process type of therapy. You know, so if you're, you know, Taking that out of the psychotherapy context and looking at it from the context of a um, you know treating someone with a a more um, I guess classic quote unquote behavior problem, you know the process is going to be similar um, regardless of what the presenting challenges are. You know there'll be a process of understanding what this individual's reinforcers are, understanding when they are happy and. Uh, not engaging in problem behavior uh, versus the circumstances under which they're engaging in problem behavior so I, I think i think as behavior analysts we are disposed to looking at things in in a, in a contextual way um as it relates to that sort of thing so i think that's probably where the, you know some of the social model discussion is is uh, is, is is gaining some traction perhaps I, again i could be uh i could be off base about that but that's just my my gut
0: yeah, if anybody has any um, questions or comments regarding this in this specific conversation, you could email either of us. But moving back into the circumstantial view, and maybe even Pat Fryman's article, he he starts to mention in it the the terminological arguments and some of these behaviors that behavior analysis, behavior analysis, behavior analysts engage in that might be counterintuitive to the circumstances view. So it seems it's, we're very bought into the circumstances view with clients, I feel, but it seems to be more difficult when speaking with each other. Do you agree or disagree?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I would say that there's definitely, uh, there's definitely, uh, an aspect of that, you know, one, one of the things that, uh, You know, um, yeah, I mean, I, I I think there's, you know, it's very easy to, you know, if you have an individual and you can clearly see that they're engaging in this problem behavior in order to, you know, generate some sort of desired outcome, then the circumstantial view is, is very, and the circumstantial interpretation of that behavior is very linear and obvious. Um, that's definitely, um, something that's going to be more likely to gain credence. Whereas, you know, if something is is, is less so, you know, we're, perhaps we're more likely to, you can imagine like a couple of like these these sliding scales, if you will, of complexity, you <laughs> yeah. know, as something increases in complexity, maybe, you know, we, we, we discount the, the, the environmental influences that that repertoire that gave rise to that repertoire. You know, I would say a couple of things that are, that are, you know, I guess, you know, some of the things that we do in behavior analysis, uh, you know, some kind of, I guess, nitpicks or, or, or observations is that, um, uh, is that, you know, it's, it's pretty well known that we have a hard time working with other people and other people have a hard time working with us. And I think there are, you know, I, I think a lot of that has to do with various messages we've received through our education I think that's changing, but I still think there's a lot of that stuff there. Um, and and, and, to be, and to be charitable, again, to be charitable here, right? Looking at the circumstances, we see a lot of stuff that doesn't work, and we have to fix a lot of things that other people have fucked up. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, and when we have success at doing that, that deepens that groove. Mm-hmm.
0: Does
1: that make sense?
0: It does. I, I think I'm understanding what you're saying. So,
1: so, so not only do we get those messages in our schooling, but you know, if you're if you're a, if you're a you know if you're a decent practitioner and you see someone, you know, you know, if you see someone trying to use like a like a core board to teach, you know, uh, you know, to teach uh, vocabulary, and then you switch to a more you know, uh, you know, more appropriate kind of uh, you know verbal operant type of intervention and you see skill you know the growth of skills that that come from that you know or you know if you s- see someone trying to manage behavior through like the use of a weighted blanket or you know or or some, or, or 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 maybe someone's attempting to use some sort of contingency management approach but they're totally uh, you know they're making some errors with the timing and this and that and then you then you adjust those things and the, and the individual makes progress as a result of those adjustments um it's very easy to see how that uh that 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 sense of I guess superiority can be further uh further reinforced through vis-a-vis our experience as, pra- as as practitioners when we have success. That's the point I guess I'm trying to make. So it's not only just the the kind of schooling that we get, but also perhaps our direct experiences where um, you know, we, we, we might, uh, you know, we, we might have success where other people haven't, you know, so as a, as a, as a, as a, as a consultant to public school settings, I, that, that, that's something, you know, uh, you know, I'm called in because people are not having success with their existing toolboxes, you know, and, um, uh, so, now I can take the view that okay, well they're not having success because a they don't have the background and experience that I have, and b they don't have the luxury of time to sit in sure. the classroom and observe and pour through records and things like that. My my wife's a my wife's a high school teacher, um, you know, um, you know it, it's a miracle if she has time to go to the bathroom during the day, you know, oh, let alone he? you know uh, uh, she's she's not a behavior analyst, but you know, like, but if she were, you know, to observe a you know a lesson and to, you know, count the number of positive versus, you know, corrective, uh, interactions or, you know, yada, yada, yada. So I, I think, I think there's a lot of things, uh, it's, it's more than just, we're, we're waving our fingers at of the people. You know, I, I, I recently met some colleagues at Endicott college, uh, and they actually have some interesting research and I'll try to track it down for the show notes. Um, I don't think it's been published yet, but they, um, they did a survey of um, behavior analyst practitioners' view towards other professions and vice versa, and Ooh. as you can imagine, they got results that you would imagine. You know, right. so uh, so you know um,
0: confirmed of the theory. Our current I, I think so. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's one of the it's one of those studies. Everyone's like, well, of course, but you know, I think it's important to do the study just so you're not going off of you know sure. anecdotes and and uh, and, and folklore. So. Yeah,
0: and, and lived experience, which is, <laughs> yes. you know, the, <laughs> the new one. Right. Matt, in terms of, and maybe this is aimed towards students, and it also could be n- new clinicians and, and seasoned clinicians, do you have maybe not even specific advice, but any sort of tidbits that people can implement so that they're better able to objectively View these sort of trends or problems or models that kind of tend to come around the bend every so often.
1: Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I guess if I had, you know, if you were to ask me for advice, for you know, and if it's centered around getting people to take a more circumstances view, I would say that you know what I said earlier. Like, if someone does something that pisses you off, um, if you know, uh, try to generate a number of plausible hypotheses as to why that person is acting that way. You know, that a, a, and and you can't say because they're, you know, uh they're racist or, you know, or or you know, you, 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 that that's I think uh um that's an outcome. You know, think of the actual repertoires that are that have been shaped up over the years. Uh, you know, um uh, instead of just, you know, kind of defaulting to, uh, you know, as Merrill Winston likes to say an an ism of, of, of one (laughs) sort or another, um, you know, so I, I would, I would say that that would be something that, um, you know, it's benefited me personally, you know, and you can take it into your own relationships too. You know, it's like, uh, I, I heard some relationship advice about like, you know, if your spouse does something that, that, that really upsets you, you know, um, you know, try, try, try to interpret that behavior in the most charitable way as possible, you know, I, th- I think I think that is something that uh, we need more, not less of, uh, you know, just more generally.
0: I agree. It's very difficult to do, admittedly, because it's oh, time God, consuming yeah. and the emotional uh, strain that it takes to do it, especially if we've been in a habit of the other side of that. Whatever oh, yeah. That might look and this like. is so
1: true in our culture and our politics, right, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and, and everything else, you know. Um, that's one other kind of nitpick I'll, I'll, I'll mention here while I've kind of got the opportunity to do so is that uh, sure. um, you know uh, um, to the extent to which I am you know I, I, I suppose some people might think I'm I'm undercritical of behavior analysis but you know I I, I, I think one area where I, I would would kind of I I say criticize the field I, I I don't you know that's kind of like a a throwaway term, I suppose, because it's you know groups don't behave. But um, you know, one of the things I think that that you know, I, I I guess I'm concerned about alienation in many respects, and and we can alienate ourselves in the ways in which we've described and talked about quite a bit already in terms of our attitudes and towards other professions and things along those lines. Um, I would also say that. Um, that, uh, you know, um, we, we also, uh, I've also seen at conferences, people, uh, you know, from the lectern make disparaging remarks about, um, you know, other people's, um, you know, uh, religious activity and politics and things like that as well. Um, it doesn't happen all the time, but every once in a while, someone will, will, will kind of, uh, imagine they're they've been asked to opine about something. You know, it's like, well, I yeah. thought we we're here to talk about like you know problem behavior or something like that, and then you know someone slips in like a like a political comment Columbia. or something <laughs> like that. You know, and, and you know, I, you know, and and it's probably generally safe to do so. I would say that you know, if you surveyed you know attendees of a of a of a national conference or something like that, I would I would say the the you know kind of political affiliations would would would. uh, would, would would pool around a you know a certain uh uh end of the spectrum certainly would but it's not to say that that's the same experience that everyone has I've seen disparaging comments about um you know uh uh you know uh people of faith you know and again I I'm not saying this as uh, you know I, I'm not a I'm not a religious person and I'm, I'm not even gonna weasel and say I, I'm not religious but I'm spiritual that, that's just as an aside <laughs> that always kind of, that, that, I don't know. They just kind of, yeah, kind of a funny thing to say, you know, it's like, it's like, like you're hedging a bet, you know, like just Making in case yourself.
0: I'm spiritual.
1: <laughs> you know, it um, counts for
0: something. Yeah, that's
1: right. That's right. <laughs> uh, so, um, anyway, um, it's neither here nor there, but you know, I, sometimes there's, you know, I, I think there are sometimes these, these kind of, uh, subtle messages that you you know, you can't be a true scientist if you're not like, a an out and proud atheist, you know, and, uh,
0: and
1: again, I'm not a rule. I don't, I'm not, I'm not carrying any water for the, 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 uh, you know, the, the people of faith community, but I have to imagine those messages are super, um, alienating and i've actually had discussions with people with behavior hey, just spoiler alert there are behavior analysts who believe in, in god you know yeah. i just want to let you know really that's amazing yeah, i know i know i know <laughs> crazy it's crazy right <laughs> uh, you know uh, and, and and you know I, I and to be perfectly candid i used to be that asshole you know making those comments so i i i have uh come around to um uh, you know, I don't know. I I I I I've 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 changed my thinking on 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 this. Uh,
0: That's interesting. From, from
1: my from my stupid youth, I guess. Uh, what would know. have
0: been your motivation for making those sorts of comments?
1: Oh, uh, uh, intellectual superiority, obviously. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Of course. What was I thinking? Duh.
1: You know, like the, <laughs> social is there,
0: grandstanding.
1: Is there anything more reinforcing than than that? You know. Um,
0: These days, it's hard to argue anything else that. Uh... Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, you know. And so. Uh, um, yeah. And you know. So uh, again, I. You know. Um, so yeah, I, I think you know this, this stuff. This stuff doesn't happen all the time, but it happens enough where I think people who have the. Um, ability to be affected by it, do take notice, I, you know? Um, so it's just something that I've, 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 um, you know, again, I want to just make note of that, uh, while I had the opportunity to do so. My, uh, you know, people who listen to my podcast, they know it's, it's, it's not, it's not an opinion show and it's not cer- certainly not a show about my opinions. It's about the opinions of the guests. So I think that, um, uh, you know, so uh, th- this is an opportunity to kind of uh, you know, <laughs> I guess uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for to um to to air some grievances you know, <laughs> to, in, a, in a Seinfeldian way, I suppose so mm-hmm.
0: to air some dirty emotional laundry, this yeah crazy- <laughs> yeah.
1: So thank you for that. This is the cleansing. Yeah, yeah. I've, this is very, uh, you know, this is very therapeutic. So I appreciate oh, it. Oh,
0: good. You know what, Matt? That's what I'm here for where, in some where,
1: ways. Whether this podcast <laughs> ever gets published or not, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity. So.
0: <laughs> well, I I could affirm you and say that you are, you know what? You're absolutely in the right. We are going to publish this, even okay. if I despise it.
1: But. <laughs> All right. Fair enough.
0: <laughs> All right, everyone. We hate to leave you on a cliffhanger. But our reverse Q&A will continue into part two of the Matt Sequoia series, where Matt will have the chance to put me in the hot seat. If you enjoyed today's episode, you're sure to enjoy next week's. We will see you then.